2: This fall, High Theory is participating in the Humanities Podcasting Symposium, organized by the Humanities Podcast Network. If you are a podcaster or avid listener, we invite you to contribute, too. We are looking for presentations on podcasting in the humanities in all shapes and forms, on audiences, teaching, learning, equity, accessibility, knowledge production, and everything else.
0: The symposium will be held entirely virtually on October 15 and 16, 2021. Find details about the Humanities Podcast Network, as well as our full call for contributors for the symposium at humanitiespodnetwork.org. That's humanitiespodnetwork.org. Welcome to this episode, and today we are talking about realism with William Ghosh, William, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Not at all. I teach Victorian and modern literature and literary theory at Jesus College in the University of Oxford. I have a book published earlier this year, my book on BSNI Paul, Caribbean Writing and Caribbean Thought, came out with Oxford University Press.
0: What the heck is realism?
1: When philosophers talk about realism, they, to, to put it very crudely, are talking about the belief in an external world. That is that the world exists outside of my head And it has certain kind of characteristics that exist completely independently of the way I think about them or represent them or write about them or speak about them. And that's roughly speaking where realist writers start from as well. So they're not trying to present a detailed picture of a specific subjectivity necessarily, nor are they trying to build a world in their text. They start from the premise that there is a world outside of the text, beyond the page, and their job is to try and point at it, to represent it, to register it in as accurate a way as possible.
0: When you say that they do not necessarily try to build a world, you know, that is, I think, that kind of goes against a lot of the popular conception about how realist texts are supposed to work. So could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so that's not to say
1: that they don't engage in what, what we might call kind of world building. Right. That's to say that usually when we think about realist texts, the world they're describing is our world. The world they're describing is a world that's shared between them and the reader. They're not, they're not um, inventing a world, might be a better right. way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so when they're constructing a representation of the world, the conceit is that they're not inventing
0: it. And could you give us a sense of sort of the literary genealogy of realism a little bit, before we kind of, you know, move on to other pastures? Probably when lots of people
1: think about realism, they think immediately about the kind of realism that happens in the European novel before modernism. European novels from about the 1840s to about the 1890s. Um, And we might think about that as realism with a big R. A moment in the history of writing where that ideal of realism was motivating lots of writers and particular generic techniques began to kind of crystallise. This isn't the only moment in literary history or or the history of art in which which this realist ideal crystallises. We might also think of socialist realisms in the Soviet Union in the 20th century or Italian neorealism after the Second World War. So I think it's quite helpful to have in our mind this distinction between small r realism, realism as an ideal that writers and artists from different periods have reached towards, and big r realisms, plural, moments in the history of writing or representation in which that ideal has kind of crystallized into genre.
0: So moving on to my second question, how do we use realism, whether it's a small r or a big r? (laughs)
1: That's a great question. And of course, insofar as it claims to represent the world as it is, it's certainly a very political concept, realism. I was trying to kind of schematize this and I came up with, broadly speaking, three ways in which we might use realism. The first way is probably the one most commonly spoken of, is realism as a form of critique. right? For its proponents, for its champions, by showing us the world as it is, shorn of illusion, shorn of falsity, Artists are forcing us to reconsider our assumptions and look at the world in a new way. It's a kind of forced encounter that will change our minds and change our way of behaving in the world. So this is obviously a notion that's very reliant on this small R version of realism. Realism is an ideal. Yeah. There's also a less positive way of thinking about realism. And I sometimes explain this to students by saying, imagine that you're talking to a friend about you know, career choices, what's going to happen next. Right. And she says, well, I, you know, I want to become a professional boxer. Mm-hmm. And you say, be realistic. What are you actually doing when you say be realistic? One way of thinking about it would be that you're helping her to see the world more accurately. You're offering a kind of triangulating perspective and you're disabusing her of certain illusions uh, about, about the world, which in the long run will be very helpful to her.
0: Right.
1: Another way to think about it is that you're in some way constraining or foreclosing her ability to think radically to make radical choices perhaps she's very out of shape perhaps she's way past the age at which people become professional boxers but you know maybe that ambition will drive her to to change her life maybe that ambition maybe maybe that ambition will will require us to change what we think of as a professional athlete change our vision of a professional athlete so there's a danger i think of of misreading the way the world is, this ideal of realism for the way we currently do things, the way we do things now, and preserving the way we do things now can be something that realism kind of bleeds into and starts to do consciously or unconsciously. The third use of realism that it's worth pausing on is totality or thinking about totalities. And, and And I pause on this because it's been a particularly important and influential way of thinking about the work of realism in the 20th century. Particularly for, for Marxist critics. Right. And, and that's the idea that in attempting to move beyond individual subjectivity, in attempting to triangulate different perspectives and to respond to the kind of hard stuff of the world, realism allows us to see and represent complex systems and the interrelationship between people and diff- people and things, so different, different classes, capital labor and so on, and to see things like class conflict or commodity for what it really is. So, so I'd say those would be three kind of key ways. Realism is critique. Realism is in some way uh, tacitly conservative and realism as a way of accessing or thinking about totality.
0: So what I'm thinking is, you know, in your second usage, let's say, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the way in which you kind of look at the conservatism of realism and the way in which it realism or being realistic becomes a way to entrap the category of imagination. Mm. But then also in your third use where realism is being used to probe beyond the atomized world to look at complexity of the system, that in itself takes an imaginative leap to a certain extent. Mm. So, you know, roundabout way of asking you, how would you describe the relationship between imagination as a category and realism?
1: I think realism, the realist ideal, and I very much recommend George Levine's classic, wonderful text, The Realistic Imagination from the 1980s, but also Lindsay Rexon's uh, very recent book, Realist Ecstasy. The realist ideal posits a mode of perception and a mode of writing that is non-generic, that moves beyond our received ways of thinking and writing. To that extent, as as a perceptual task, as a representational task, it requires creativity or newness. We might think of that as a slightly different kind of creativity Mm. to the kind of visionary creativity that certain, for example, romantic artists or artists that work today in fantasy
0: genres would celebrate
1: and would promote. Perhaps slightly more kind of analytic, But I think there is a creativity to it nonetheless. Yeah.
0: It's interesting because, you know, we started this conversation by talking about world building. And it seems that a lot of, you know, world building, of course, is one of the core ideas in in fantasy. Um, Mm -hmm. But that in itself, it seems it takes a lot from a kind of realist, thick description-y tactic. So, you know, there there might be uh, an overlap there as well. How are ideations of realism important to your own work?
1: I suppose I'm interested in texts in which realist forms of perception actually work against the stated or explicit ideas or ideology of the writer. Another way of putting that would be that, that Jameson talks about realism as an, as an epistemic category that happens by means of aesthetic. And I'm interested in the ways of knowing that realism or realist techniques afford. To speak about Naipaul, Naipaul's often spoken of as the great realist writer of the the later 20th century. When he was leaving office, Barack Obama spoke about Naipaul as teaching him a way of seeing, teaching him a way of thinking, particularly about foreign policy, he says, a more realistic view of the world. And one of Naipaul's most famous novels begins with the phrase, the world is what it is, which is this kind of absolutely paradigmatic, realist kind of manifesto. The world is what it is. Now, what Naipaul, I think, or in fact, in this case, Naipaul's narrator meant by that, and certainly what Obama meant by that, they were using realism as a not too well disguised synonym for a certain kind of conservatism, or at least kind of rational actor theory, way of thinking about international politics. I started thinking about realism when I was thinking about Naipaul, right. and I was thinking about the kinds of techniques that Naipaul proposed to use to kind of underwrite the, the objectivity of his way of seeing the world, um, right. which is a spurious objectivity, but, and, and in fact kind of allows, allows the indulgence of particular kinds of melancholic moods and subjectivities. Since I finished working on Naipaul, I've been trying to look at realist writers' From similar periods and, and even up till today, for whom the opposite is true. These are all very late realist texts in many ways. You know, these are all texts that, in some that, that, that understand themselves as existing a hundred years plus after the, the decline of high realism. Right. Yeah. Um, realist realist texts that have that have this kind of sense of melancholia, but which are none act, act, actually sort of despite themselves punctuated by these moments in which in which the new per- percolates and the new
0: Iraq. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's really interesting in what you're saying, I think, is that this the r- realism as a baseline, as a kind of way to deploy representation of the world as it is, has a certain totalizing power. And this is something that you've already talked about, is that if, let's say, if a text is realist, it must, you know, have a certain kind of inherent value. So it's really interesting, you know, in your reading of realism as a technique that can be defeated and that is defeated by other um, techniques inside the body of the text and, you know, that kind of conflict generating reading that the text produces.
1: I suppose another way of thinking about it is that, that realism as a concept is a kind of unstable compound. Right. So if the ideal is to represent something in a way that doesn't rely on received vocabularies, the moment that crystallizes or calcifies into a genre the moment realism with a small r becomes realism with a big r it's it's a kind of epistemic purpose its yeah. pu- its purchase its ability to to see and know in a new way has gone and that's something that niall was very perceptive about he he talks he says every literary form is always getting to the end of what it can do. What's what's very interesting about the realist text are ca- can be those moments in which we see th- this the, the kind of the openness, the expansiveness yeah. of small r realism just right. beginning to penetrate through and poke through and disturb what have become quite kind of staid norms of big r realism. So I'm thinking about a book like Ponts, Vernon Subitex, a, a great kind of balzacian map of Paris published published uh, in in the first half of the last decade, um, which on the one hand was this kind of very melancholic rehearsal of Balzac um, and a very deeply kind of melancholic belated look at a kind of gutted, empty Paris after many, many decades after the the era of of kind of radical politics and, and political possibility was over. And yet at the same time punctuating through that. So if, if you like, it's this kind of it's a kind of melancholic, almost parodic rehearsal of big R realism. And yet at the same time, kind of puncturing through that are these moments when the kind of received categories of what might be taken to be radical politics by this now rather aging generation are kind of punctured and overturned. There's a wonderful example where one of the characters has a daughter who becomes a very devout Muslim and there's a, a this moment of recognition where this this kind of aged, aging uh, kind of radical says, gosh, that's actually the way that that's 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 the way in which you stick your finger up to the world nowadays. You know, that, yeah. that, 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 that's what radicalism looks like nowadays. That's what refusal looks like nowadays. And it's this moment of wonderful kind of recognition, a, a, a moment of expansion. And so, so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about.
0: So, you know, on that note of the newness and futurity inherent in a literary genre that smaller realism promises, Let me ask you my third question, which is how will realism save the world? Um, So so it probably won't. (laughs) (laughs) That's a valid answer in this
1: podcast. Personally, I'm a realist, but I'm also an idealist about realism. So I think it's very difficult. I think it's very rare. And I think a, a lot of the time, maybe most of the time, when we tell ourselves we're being realistic or we're representing something in a realistic way, we're actually being pragmatic at best or at worst kind of cleaving to our received ways of thinking. I think that critique is very valid and is you know, very often true. But I think there are moments when the recalcitrant resistance of the world to our ways of thinking about it, conceptual schemes, kind of can be felt and can be discerned. And at these moments, our ways of thinking can be expanded and disturbed. I suppose I'd say that I think the great works of realism with a small r, So those, and, and I, by that I don't mean the kind of canonical works of big r realism necessarily, right. though some of them are great works of small r realism. But the, the, the works of realism that I most value or that I think are most interesting are those which register in, in some way this disturbance, this sense of a mind or a representational scheme rupturing and expanding in front of our eyes. Uh, and I think that's one of the most powerful and transformative things that can happen in literature, and that reading literature can can provoke in
0: it. Just to end this, can you give us like a mini reading list for this, these kinds of texts?
1: I can. Um, so, as I say, I think that that an, a, a text that I've been thinking a huge amount about recently is is de uh, subtext. A writer who I've been thinking a lot about in this regard recently also is the Haitian writer Marie Vieux Chauvet. There are elements of this kind of thinking in Hilary Mantel. Yeah. And someone I'm a huge devotee of, a kind of weird British realist in this tradition, is Penelope Fitzgerald. Uh, I think Penelope Fitzgerald's book, The Beginning of Spring,
0: is a a, a breathtaking example of this kind of thinking. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Will, for coming to High Theory and talking to us about realism. Uh, It was wonderful to have you. Thank you very much for asking me.
1: And
2: thank you for listening to High Theory.